the STEM culture. Oh, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have an intro. Because it's really warm in here. Welcome to STEM Culture Podcast. Today, we're talking about the peer review process. We'll talk about why peer review is important, its shortcomings, and how to be successful with the system we have. Will and Danny have some experience to share, and our guest host, Dr. Monsi Wright, has even more. But since this is a very important and complex topic, especially for scientists, we asked a few very experienced people to weigh in. Many of the scientists we asked were willing to participate, and because this topic is so important to STEM folks and grad students in particular, we are keep we will keep collecting these tips and release bonus episodes as they come in. This episode goes out to all the haters. We welcome your constructive criticism. Today, we'll start by talking about the peer review process generally. You'll hear from our guest host, Monsi Wright. Then you'll hear from two science heavy hitters with lots of experience who are going to weigh in. Finally, we'll, we'll reflect on those recordings. So first of all, uh, Dr. Monsi Wright uh, has a master's in environmental biology and recently finished her PhD in aquatic toxicology. She's published and has regularly reviewed papers, which is why we've invited her to join us. So hi, Monsi. Welcome to the STEM Culture Podcast. Yo, thanks for having <laughs> me. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, uh, certainly. I'd like to just briefly discuss what I'm currently doing with my life since post-grad school, seven years later. It's fine. Oh, that exists? <laughs> no, wait, seven and a half years. <laughs> um, yeah, so currently I help to manage a $10 million environmental protection agency contract. Uh, we review pesticide toxicity studies for the EPA. And I help uh, for the day-to-day -day running of the contract, assigning work, authorizing work, strategizing for deliveries training people and all sorts of other fun stuff. Um, I also am a strongman competitor. So that's what I do with my free time now with all yes. that lovely free time. <laughs> so thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes, We're excited too. This is going to be great. Also, Monty's one of our best friends. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start uh, by talking a little bit about peer review and the peer review process in general, just for people who aren't yet in grad school, haven't really talked to anybody about it. Um, so effectively, um, the peer review process is something that is much reviled by many people, but, um, but it's really important. And the reason for that is that uh, it is the one sort of tool that we have to, to, uh, approximate objectivity in science. So basically what you do is you create a study of some kind and you send it to a journal and they, uh, the editor, one of the editors of the journal looks at the paper and then picks out some reviewers who are, um, other scientists that ideally know something about the topic of the paper and, uh, send the paper to them and then they anonymously review it. Um, and based on those reviews, you may get to do revisions or um, not uh, if they decide that it's not relevant to the journal. Um, but basically through the back and forth with these, the editor and then the anonymous reviewers, uh, you get the opportunity to refine your study um, and make it fit better into the grander body of knowledge um, that is your field. Um and so uh, I mentioned that people revile it because nobody really likes being criticized. Um, but uh, a couple of uh, overly philosophical general points of wisdom. Um, okay, so Rumi, because, you know, I'm a hippie, <laughs> uh, said um, if you something, I'm paraphrasing, but something like if you bristle with every rub, how will your mirror ever become polished? Yeah. So basically, if you take offense every time somebody criticizes you, then you're missing the opportunity to refine yourself. Yeah. So like approach, approach things with a growth mindset mm -hmm. kind of idea. Yeah. yeah. And so the last philosophical point that I have is actually from a science scientist uh, so Johannes Kepler, uh, who is an important part of the development of astronomy in the early days. So he said, I much prefer 
the sharpest criticism of a single intelligent person to the thoughtless approval of the masses. So criticism is actually a good thing if what your goal is to become the best possible version of yourself. And then Beyonce said, I ain't sorry. <laughs> she's, right. she's a great philosopher of our time. She is. Yeah. Not, not, not playing. <laughs> I, I would actually, I would actually love to look through some of the things that she said and like apply it to future episodes. Uh, we could, and we should, and yes. Okay. So we're going to do that. Okay. Taking notes. It'll be a Beyonce episode. Um, philosopher Beyonce. Yeah. I'm going to make an argument. I'm going to see what you guys think about it. I'm going to say that the peer review process is not just important. It is science. Without it, science couldn't exist as we know it today. So what do you think about that? Okay. So I have, I have a couple issues with it. Yeah. Peer review is important, but it also costs money to be able to submit your paper to a journal who is going to publish it, but then you have to pay them to publish it. So there's many people that can't necessarily pay for that to happen. So did you have to pay to submit your paper to the journal that you just submitted to? No, sorry. So what are you clarification uh-huh. when they publish it. Sorry, not to submit it. So I was not aware that that is even happening. So I didn't have to pay. You didn't have to yeah. pay. But did, did it come out of a grant? No. There was no money offered. Wow. I think, so is that some journals that do that? Yeah. I've, I think, I've only ever seen, I mean, every journal I've looked into, we mm-hmm. had to pay them really money. Yeah. Wow. I, and I think I think sometimes sometimes it's just that, that phenomenon, if there's a really steep price is associated with predatory journals. I was about to say, yeah. But also the top journals, I think, also charge a lot. So mm-hmm. like hundreds and hundreds of dollars to That's get crazy. into science or nature. We paid nature $5,200. Wow. Excuse me? It's a flat rate. Wow. Okay, so. I had no idea. I agree. There are big problems That's with the peer review problem. process. And we are obviously going to get to that. I think yeah. Monsi has some specific criticisms. Um, and I, I completely agree with that. But I also think that without peer review science would be effectively useless. And the reason is that without the peer review process, we would have no way to turn our disjointed ideas and studies into a body of knowledge that's useful. I have a follow-up question. Yeah. So you know when you – I don't know actually. I know other people that have written book chapters. Um, You write a book chapter, but that – tends to be invited or you might offer and they might say yes. Um, But that's not peer reviewed. The editors will edit it, but it's not necessarily going to go out and get peer reviewed by other Mm. people. So how does that fit in? Well, that's not usually primary, right? So that's, that's like secondary or even tertiary literature where you're taking a bunch of things that have already gone through the peer review process and, and, synthesizing those. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you could not do that in a reasonable way if we didn't have the peer review process, imperfect though it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there might be a better way, but I don't think anybody knows of it because I think if there was a clear, better way, better system, we would know about it. I'm not sure I agree with that. Okay. I think there's too much money wrapped up in it now for there to be a better way forward. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of criticism about the peer review process, and I think it's pretty valid. I think first, okay, I'm going to jump the gun here. Go but, ahead. But first, if you think about it, even if you submit your raw data, that is not a guarantee that that's actually your raw data. Nobody can confirm that your data wasn't made up. They just can't. Mm-hmm. They got to take your word for it that that Excel file that you sent or whatever that you sent is is the data. So we're kind of operating on the assumption that you're following good QAQC and you're not being disingenuous or lying about your data. So you submit it, right? But they still just are getting this paper to look at and then they've got your data if they're lucky. Most of the time you're not, you don't have the person's data. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're, you know, you're probably not going to be directly involved in that person's field. There's going to be some gaps in your knowledge and you're just going to do your best as a reviewer to make sure that, you know, you do do the the paper um, justice. 
But um, so that I think that there's a problem on that side. But also the other problem is that the process isn't double blind. So they know who you are, but you don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And for all you know, they're competing with you for a grant. Yeah, and which they should like, no. Yeah, and then there there is so in a lot of journals when you when you submit um or you're a re- reviewer, if you feel like you have um a conflict of interest, you're supposed to disclose. Mm-hmm. But there's plenty of people that don't. Mm-hmm. Um which is also problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you don't know what's going on, on the other side there and I'm sure that there's a ton of politics that go on especially at the bigger journals. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's a big problem. I I heard one scientist say recently that they feel that everything should get published, just publish everything mm-hmm. and let people sift through it. Because yeah. you know, and, and there's a lot of work out there where they weren't able to prove their hypothesis. They didn't, you know, get their nice beautiful p value yeah. and it got shelved and there's what you, I, I may have redone somebody else's research for no reason because right. it didn't get published. So, so statistical testing and, and, and p values have become maybe a stand in for actually having reviewers that are, that are in your field that actually mm-hmm. know enough about your study to, to review it in a fair way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree with you guys. I think that, um, uh, that like Monsi said, science or uh, peer review has got a lot of money in it and that creates conflicts of interest, whether they're reported or, you know, or not. Um, uh, and then, well, science generally has become so diffuse. It's grown so fast in terms of the variety of topics that are studied um, that, you know, we can't necessarily even have a conversation with the scientists in your building that, that studies nominally the same thing as you. Um, so big problems affecting the peer review system. Agreed. Um but to stop being devil's advocate over here, um, <laughs> I do think it's a really good idea because to have a peer review system in place because, for instance, I was working on a paper for two years and really the only people that saw it are my people that I'm working with directly, the other co-authors, uh, my friends and family who I talk to about this thing all the time. And it's out for review now and I'm really excited to get feedback from Mm -hmm. people that have never seen it before. And I really hope, you know, when I've been writing it, I've really been trying to think about what is somebody that's never come across anything like this before going to think and having that in my head and really trying to make sure every part of what I'm doing is transparent um, has been really helpful in creating, I think a paper that is fairly well done. And I hope that the feedback I get from them is, is uh reflective of that but i'm excited to see how it can improve too so i i look forward to that i'm scared but i look forward to it (laughs) yeah that's i mean i I don't have a lot of experience with with peer review so you just quickly you've submitted one paper is that right so i i have two i have three published papers i'm so sorry i was way off base no no that's okay um uh, but the reason you thought i only had one is because or this this particular one is because it's the first one i will be first author on for my phd got it mm-hmm. yeah so um i have another paper for my phd i'm a co-author on but i was not involved in like i did not submit it and deal directly with the reviews that was my advisor and then I have two papers prior um, where I did deal directly with reviews. Um, and one of those I'm first author on. Awesome. So. Uh, <laughs> nice. Um, I'm not cutting that out. Okay. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I, I have I have one first author publication that, well, not publication. I've submitted one paper twice and I got rejected both times. Um it's a long story, which we'll probably come back to uh, under another topic. But uh, I think one of the reasons why I have such a rosy view, or maybe not a rosy view, but a positive, basically positive view of the peer review system is because just like you're excited to get this feedback mm-hmm. from people that you don't even know, and you're hopeful that it will be constructive, at least in part, and it yeah. will help you improve your study. That's what you really care about. Mm-hmm. The... Um, Reviews that I got at the second submission of my one paper uh, are is the first time that I've gotten 
substantive feedback from people in the field that I was studying uh, was the first time. And so for me, it was a really exciting moment because it was something I could really sink my teeth into. And, uh, and so it's, it's a, it's a social structure that exists for scientists aside from the other ones that we depend on that is resource when it works right. Yeah. Um, so that's my meager perspective on things. (laughs) Um, but, uh, Danny, do you have any other um, experiences or thoughts to share about the peer review process? Yeah. So like we just spoke about, I have gone through the, re- the review process a few times. Um, the kind of one of my main takeaways is that it's always good to know roughly when you should be hearing back about a decision on your manuscript. And the reason for that is, is because I have waited six months to hear back on a manuscript before, and it should not have taken that long. And I was inexperienced, and I didn't know like when would be appropriate to contact the journal. I didn't want to bother them. Um, and I finally, at six months, was like, I feel like this is definitely too long to be waiting for this journal. And I emailed them, and they were like, oh, yeah, so um, uh, we forgot about it. It was on somebody's desk and it got buried. (laughs) That sucks. Yeah, yeah. And so that that got it back on track, but I could have emailed earlier. Um, Also, I had an option at that point, too, if I didn't want to keep the paper with that journal anymore. You can always withdraw, um, but you can't have your manuscript at two different journals at the same time. It's a copyright issue. So, um. So that's kind of one of my uh, bad experiences (laughs) with the peer review process. Um, But overall, like I've talked about, I do think the peer review review is a really good idea uh, to make sure. Because obviously you and your team want it to be published. And you might subconsciously or consciously, you know, speed by problematic areas of your paper. (laughs) And so it's really good to get other people's perspective um, outside of your team. Uh, Something else I think about, so obviously I'm excited to see my review comment, the comments I get back on my paper, but uh, also kind of anxious because, you know, there might be things that they say that I totally disagree with, or it's absolutely possible people talk about reviewer three being kind of the mean reviewer. And so some of the comments might hit kind of hard. Mm -hmm. So something I've learned over time is to basically just open the fucking document, read through the comments, and then walk away. Don't work on them that day. Um, Give it a day or two, and then go back and read them again. And I've found for me that when I do that, they they seem much less harsh (laughs) and more reasonable and something I can do. And then I can see them more as like constructive comments Mm -hmm. instead of like, oh, this person is trying to tank my paper. Mm -hmm. Um. I have actually reviewed a few articles as well that my advisor has given me. Kind of he wanted to see how I thought about these papers. And then he would combine my thoughts with his and send those in um, to the paper, uh, to the journal again. And, you know, I try to give really good comments back. Um, And so I really hope others are trying to do the same. But what I have found and what I've heard from other grad students is we all try really hard to give good comments back. And we try to do justice to the paper and to the scientist. Um, And I think grad students overall are just like underutilized as reviewers, for sure. And this is an issue right now with peer review is that a editor will go out and ask people, scientists in this field to review, and then they might ask 18, 19, 20 people to be reviewers, and none of them say yes. Then they have to ask more and more and more. And this is where grad students can come really in handy because you can ask us. And we're used to being overworked. So, <laughs> and we're, I'm, I don't know, I'm eager to, to mm-hmm. kind of get that experience and see what it's like from the other side. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, and I think we all have read a lot in our science careers um but there's something more engaging about an interactive reading of a paper where you're in the process i think it would be a great learning experience Mm -hmm. if it was something that more grad students engaged in 
and maybe a one possible avenue that that we could take as a community would be to create some official capacity for grad students to review papers. So there's a grad student reviewer slot mm-hmm. on every paper submitted to our journal. Oh, that would be cool. That would be super cool. So, um, so Dr. Dan Quintana is going to be on our, uh, is a guest on our, on this podcast actually a little bit later and on his podcast with James Heather's, um, everything hurts podcast. They have talked about this before about, you know, if you want to review for journals and you're not getting pinged from certain journals, you can email the editors and tell them, Hey, you can ask me now. I have actually done that. And I got several positive responses back, but that was a year ago and I still haven't gotten any papers. Um, and I'm like, but give them to me. I, I will review them. And at this point, I'm a fourth year in my PhD. So not that that makes me, I mean, that makes me an expert in my very specific area, I think. So even if I'm still young and early in my career, I'm still better than nothing. <laughs> Yeah, there's almost definitely something that you could contribute to almost almost any paper in your field. Yeah. So editors out there, if you're perhaps listening, uh, ping us grad students. Or if we email you, uh, please pick us to review stuff. Yeah, I'll totally review papers. Yeah. So Will does plant physiology and Danny does animal physiology and endocrinology. So. Yeah, I also do uh, earth system modeling and mm. uh, functional genomics and population genetics. So... Fine. I also do um, stuff. Uh, um, other <laughs> other things. I, mean, I love you. <laughs> so, um, uh, continuing on this path, um, um, Monsi, as I mentioned earlier, has more experience than either Danny or I, and so we've asked her to uh, go through her experiences a little bit in parallel with the questions that we posed to the uh, PIs um, that have responded and we'll play the recordings of in a few minutes. But Monsi, can you tell us a little bit about your experience uh, interacting with the peer review process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I'll just start talking about um, sort of my overall positives and the negatives of the peer review process. I've already touched on some of them, so I won't repeat myself. But uh, with regard to the positives, I agree with Danny that it's definitely a learning process. I learned so much through the process of submitting my paper. There were things that they said that I was just like, oh, wow, I didn't even think of that. That's awesome. And I even found myself wishing some of them could be on my committee because they had (laughs) such good comments. So I think overall it was a very good experience. Um, It did take me about a couple weeks to respond to all of the comments. So it was Mm -hmm. a little frustrating at times, but it was fine. Uh, with regard to my other criticisms is I actually wish that it were more interactive. Mm-hmm. So they're formulating their comments and they get sent to you in a bundle and then you get those comments and then you work on them and then you send them back to them and then they're working on their own time, but it just adds weeks to the process. And if there were a way to let us actually interact on the online interface, I think that would be better for everybody. And I really think that that's, I think that's something people are thinking about. Yeah. I hope to see more of that in the future. So that's actually more of a real time conversation. I think there are some journals moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also definitely some journals that are, um, they are either making the the reviewers not anonymous anymore during that process, or they will de-anonymize them after. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this happened at, at Nature, after the whole process was done and our paper was published, they actually um, you they could also actually post the interaction between the two, like between the re- reviewers and the authors, mm-hmm. um, kind of that back and forth, so you can see how the paper changed and mm-hmm. all of that. So that's so if you ever see on any Nature papers, um, if you go to the actual Nature website and click on a paper, you can actually see. Um, that interaction, which is kind of interesting. That's awesome. I had no idea. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. So, so it's, it's happening, but slowly. Yes, yes. 
So my overall experience with regard to um, the comments part, and that, that's the part that I'm most interested in today talking about, is that there's an art to addressing the comments that you get. So some of them are going to be rude because <laughs> people are people and they're just typing away and they don't realize that they're being condescending. Yeah. Um, or they're think, reviewing at like midnight with a bourbon in hand. Yeah. And <laughs> we're responding. Right. you should. Right? <laughs> so, so in my field, uh, aquatic toxicology, there's a heavy emphasis on chemistry and especially engineering because I work with nanoparticles. And so all of these reviewers, not a single one of them was an ecologist. And this is really an ecology paper in, in a sense. It's aquatic toxicology, but there's a huge ecology component, and they were all hyper-focused on the chemistry. Hmm. And I kept having to remind them that this isn't about the chemistry. We, we, we know a little bit about the behavior of these nanoparticles in the system, but what we're talking about is an applied thing, yeah. an applied experiment. And they kept asking for lab studies, and I was just like, there's a million lab studies. The whole point of this experiment was to take those and extrapolate it out to the field. Great. We know what happens in the lab. That's been well characterized. Awesome. Now let's take this into the field and let's find out what happens in a realistic field scenario, which is what we did. And we got dinged for that. They were like, oh, you have too many environmental variables. It's literally what they said. And I was like, yeah, that's because it's an outdoor mesocosm study. <laughs> that's a, the point. <laughs> there's a reason why they're called environmental variables. <laughs> Uh, the environment is complicated? No? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> Can I ask what their reaction was? Like, did they, or you might not even heard back from them. Um, so I'm trying to remember. I think there was just one round of actual comments. Okay. Um, so I actually have them up in front of me. So the way that I dealt with them, all these comments, was, was by first thanking them. Yeah. Um, being kind and thoughtful in my responses to them saying, that's a great question. However, that's beyond the scope of what we did. This isn't supposed to be a lab study. It's not supposed to be controlled. Mm -hmm. And I would very uh, professionally guide them through why what we did was important, getting them to look at the big picture, um, kind of redirecting them away from just like focusing on this tiny bit that they actually knew about. Cause I think they were very uncomfortable with the ecology part. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it really came down to is they didn't understand the ecology stuff. Yeah. So they were just like, what about the nanoparticle behavior and the pH and the this and the that? And I'm just, okay. <laughs> like it's, it is very important, but it's not the scope of this experiment. Yeah. So just taking the time to really, I mean, some of these are just, some of these are essays with citations. There's one response where I had like 10 citations. Whoa. So it's like getting really deep into stuff. And I actually learned, I learned a lot through the process. One reviewer was like, there aren't enough controls. And I was like, what? <laughs> there's, there's one control. It's, it makes sense. There, there doesn't need to be another control. And so it was just, you know, being professional and going through this thought process with them. And I think it, I think I, I like what it, I like, I like looking at the comments and my responses to them. I think that it came out really nicely and it was also good to have the the feedback from my my co-authors is very helpful yeah um and so, so yeah it's not and, like i'm sorry I oh that's okay that. so it's not like you had to actually do everything that the reviewer said right so that's that's another point that i wanted to make which is that you have to you have to figure out what battles you want to fight and which mm -hmm. ones you don't want to fight if they're like i want to see this thing italicized okay fine that's done. Yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. Um, so you have to pick your battles. Is okay. it, is it something worth fighting over? So it could be like a really petty comment. Okay, fine. I'm going to fix that. Um, and then it might be something else that's bigger and you're just, and you just like, I can't do that. I can't go back in time. I had to literally tell a reviewer, I can't do that because it's over now <laughs> <laughs> in the nicest way possible. Yeah. So, so really just kind of like, uh, playing that, that line of like showing respect but also knowing when to stand up for yourself and say, no, I actually disagree with you, which I had to do. Now, I had a reviewer three who said <laughs> that they couldn't recommend my paper for publication. And I gave them a very long response. And I'm, I'm actually happy to put this up on the website or wherever is a good place for that. Mm -hmm. So people can see how you can you can address reviewer three. Oh, cool. I've also been reviewer three, Ooh. which is the best thing ever. I had to be reviewer three recently and it was really so, traumatizing. <laughs> I felt so bad. I'm, I'm really excited to hear about your experience as reviewer three. But I just want to interject real quick. I found out for fairly recently that not everybody has a reviewer three. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> yeah, 
might have for... four reviewers. <laughs> what? Yeah, right. So there's the different journals and yeah. di- have different numbers of reviewers. And in physics, I found out lately they just have two. So oh. I, I said to a physicist, well, you know, reviewer number three. And he sort of looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> or two heads because... <laughs> Yeah, right, because they only have two <laughs> reviewers, exactly. Um, that explains some of the memes I've seen where it's where they talk bad about reviewer number two. I don't know why, but apparently the the, the tough ones always get uh, shuffled to the end of the deck. Yeah, well, I wonder if they do that on purpose. The editors, they give you like the nice ones first to warm you up, and then the slightly harder ones, yeah. and then the hardest one I at wonder. the end just to not to sideline you. Yeah. But it's just building anticipation. <laughs> if yeah. you already know that... Yeah. That- I know, but if I had like if I had some really intense comments, I would not want those ones first. I would want the nice ones first, so I could That's be like, true. okay, I'm Let's not complete shit. <laughs> they liked me. They really liked me. Right, and then they're like, oh, slightly less. Oh, fuck. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dr. Monsi, tell us about your experience as reviewer number three. Um, oh, well, I, I just wanted to quickly wrap up um, my comments Please. about what you do when you get a kind of a snarky reviewer yeah. who's like. This cannot be published. So so I responded to them, I think, pretty well. And I also decided to address it in my cover letter when I submitted the paper. So I pointed out that I did get um, a little – I didn't say harsh criticism, but I did say that I received some comments regarding the lack of control over my environmental variables – and I, um, in addition, some of these reviewers suggest that I do additional lab studies. Ha ha. Um, and so I actually addressed that like head on in cool. my letter to the editor. And I explained, I kind of, I didn't say, I didn't like come out and say, I completely disagree with that. I explained to them the central theme and the, the purpose of a mesocosm study. And I made a point to tie in the importance of having laboratory and semi-field and outdoor mesocosm studies into our so that that integrates our understanding of science. Um, and so I was able to professionally and kindly uh, address it while also not attacking that reviewer. Nice. And I think that that actually might have played a role in the acceptance of the paper, despite that one reviewer's misgivings. The other yeah. three were good, but that one was the only one that was on the table at okay. that point. They so later changed their mind. So you're actually, not powerless so. in the face of reviewer yeah. number three. Yeah. And in fact, in that case, that reviewer wasn't in your field. Yeah. And so it was appropriate for you to attempt an explanation of yeah. the significance of that type of study mm-hmm. because they may not have been familiar with it. Right. And point out that actually it's appropriate for studies to conclude at a place that suggests more studies. Right, exactly. Yeah. And also I think it's good to be honest with an editor. So I actually was like, hey, I'm a, this is my first time, this is my first first author paper. And so, you know, excuse me if I'm doing anything inappropriately, but, you know, here I am. I'm trying to do my best here. And I think it's good to be honest and just be like, hey, first timer. Yeah. You know, I've got other papers published, but I wasn't first author. So yeah. I, I don't know what I'm doing. So please help me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's so, great. Yeah. And so then um, when I got um, the final comments back, the reviewer three, I think, completely changed their mind. and was like, cool. this is good to go. And then it got published, and I was very happy. Yes. Um, victory. Victory is mine. So <laughs> after publishing this paper, I started to get a lot of requests to to review other people's papers, which was a very good experience. Um, and it's really hard not to be snarky because you're going through this long paper and you're finding grammatical errors. And it, it that's going to take me to another big point I have to make, actually. My biggest recommendation for people when, when publishing. But... Um, if somebody, if you can tell that somebody did not take the time to edit their own paper, mm-hmm. it can be very frustrating. And then next thing you know, you're just snark is coming out in your comments, and it's it's like it's hard not to be frustrated because you're like, okay, your paper got this far, and you probably should have had somebody else look at it. Um, and so, it's it's I, I see now why the snark comes out. It's 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 easy for it to happen, but I try to be I try to be positive. Mm-hmm. I try to give them positive feedback, and then also, hey, this isn't so great. Um, I found myself doing a lot of editing and I had to stop myself. There was one paper that I had already had like three pages in a Word document of just editing and I just covered the introduction. Yeah. And I had to stop myself. 
Yeah, because the job as a reviewer is not to mm-hmm. edit, right? It's to give feedback on the science. Is that right? Um, I think it's both, actually. Oh, I think okay. that's what makes it kind of kind of tricky mm-hmm. is that language does matter. And if the sentence is actually grammatically wrong and you don't understand it, yeah. you have to say something to them. So another thing, a lot of the papers I got were clearly, um, I think, grad students from China, uh-huh. from other countries, and I could tell English wasn't their first language. And so that was like, I felt I felt like I needed to help them. Mm-hmm. So I would actually reformulate some of their sentences to give them examples. Yeah. So I would take more time with them because I was like, oh, these, these poor people, they, you know, they don't, they probably didn't have an English speaker edit their work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really big thing for, for anybody to consider, anybody publishing, is make sure your grammar is right so that is correct and make sure that you've gone through and made sure that there are no spelling issues so that a scientist isn't getting misdirected by that. Because I've been yeah. very distracted by that. I, I can't even think about the science if your paragraph structure is is poor and you clearly did not have something somebody look at your paper before you submitted it. Yeah, you don't want the language to get in the way of your science. You want the language to 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 put your science mm-hmm. on display. You want the the language to to yeah. to really showcase your science and and not obscure it. Because you know, presumably you want people to read and understand and you want the ideas that are in it to get beyond the little bubble that that you're working in. That's mm-hmm. that's the whole point. And there's a quite a few journals will give guidance too. So if you're thinking of a certain journal that you'd like to submit to, um, they will often give guidance to people like if you're not confident in your writing being good mm-hmm. and your your English being good. Um, if it's for an English speaking journal, then they might have guidance. They might have suggestions for you. Um, so there's options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you ask an editor? If they have a recommendation for a resource to go to, if you're not a uh, first language English speaker and you want someone to help you improve your your English science writing. So I would first look at the journal author guidelines because it's it's probably a question they get all the time and it'll likely be in there. But I mean, I don't see why you couldn't contact the editor um, just understand that they, depending on what journal it is, they might be very busy. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it never hurts to ask mm-hmm. because all they can ever say is, is no. no. Yeah. It's important enough that you might consider bringing on a new co-author. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that completely. Like I said, I've been getting, I've, I've gotten some really concerning papers and have had to say no way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. And I even got one back. I reviewed one a second time and it was still poor. And I had to say no, because I was just, I was like, this is a really good journal. I can't recommend this paper be put in this journal as it stands right now. And you clearly didn't do what we suggested, which was find an, an editor. So this may be a question that gets us on a tangent. I don't know the answer, mm-hmm. but when it comes to to non-native English speakers trying to submit or submitting to journals written in English and the, and their writing isn't good, I feel like there's a better way for us to be inclusive because the science is hopefully still good. But if it right. can't, if we can't see that through the writing, yeah. it makes it really hard. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm just kind of wondering out loud what we can do. But yeah, there are certain journals. I mean, I think a lot of journals that I've looked at have some guidelines um, and suggestions if um, they need some help with their English. Um, but I just haven't looked into it enough. I think this is a really interesting conversation. And I agree I mean, we with should you. follow it up. It's a tangent. We should follow it up. People <laughs> out there in TV land, aka Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Please... Uh, get back to us. If you know something that's uh, a good resource for non-native English speakers to get their science writing checked and worked on, um, you know, that's beyond just sort of the grassroots, getting a co-author, having a, a, a collaborator in the field that's a primary English speaker. English is the the I think the most common internationally used uh, language for science, and so I, I do think that we have some responsibility to, like Danny said, make that inclusive for people because you know 
you know, it turns out most of the people in the world are actually not um, English speakers. <laughs> right. Um, and I think we would all benefit by having access yeah. to their science. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like really been heartbreaking to see because I can tell that the research is good. I'm like, this is really cool. But then, um, yeah, so usually I'll, I'll find a way to make sure you know what I mean yeah and I'm not saying you're being a hard ass or anything it's just just when I when I see just a complete lack of effort yeah it's really hard yeah it's really really hard um and I agree we have to got to find a way I think some some journals actually let um the reviewers maybe get a place on the paper if they can contribute to it significantly oh and maybe that's a way where we can help uh non-English speakers is by being like okay reviewer reviewer three is willing to help you edit your paper she he will do it would you mind making them a co-author or at least putting in the you know the acknowledgments or something like that but that's a viable way of of helping them so we're going to move on now after that lively discussion and we're going to hear the perspectives of two experienced academic scientists on the following four questions that we exactingly crafted aka we actually took a fair hour i think to kind of come up with these Um, for your edification, as Will likes to say. Our two remote guests are Joseph White and Dan Quintana. And the four questions are, how do you deal with reviews and reviewers? How do you manage editors? How do you participate in the peer review process? And how could the peer review process be improved? Roll that beautiful bean footage. Hi, this is my response to the request to talk a little bit about how to deal with the peer review process from STEM culture. Uh, my name is Joseph White. I'm a professor at Baylor. Been here for 21 years. Been publishing since 92. Uh, so sometimes I've dealt a lot with editors and the publication process. First of all, how do you deal with reviews and reviewers? As a reviewer of articles myself, one thing I just want to make sure is that uh, the science is solid. So I look for all the elements. Do they propose a question? Do they answer it with the appropriate methods? Are the data there? If they say that there are significant results, Uh, Do I find them quite easily? The other part of that is simply writing is important. So being able to tell a good story is good. As a reviewer, I like to see things spelled out. Uh, People reviewing my articles uh, goes all over the place. Sometimes people give you good reviews, uh, meaning not necessarily that they agree or that they want to publish your work. Rather, they give you a good, honest um, interpretation of your uh, of the things that you want to look for. Uh, have you written things well? Are you clear as to um, the hypothesis? Uh, are your data solid? Uh, all those things that you want to see. If someone looks at that and gives you an honest appraisal, then you can say you've gotten a good review. And uh, if you also have done those things, and they say, go ahead and publish, that's good. Um, How do you manage editors? I don't think any of us manage editors other than the fact that um, sometimes we write them a letter and in the letter you want to spell out what the paper is doing, how it, it is associated with the journal that the you want to publish in. If it's new, um, that's good. Um, the big thing, I think, are making sure that if you have reviewers that you know are going to be intentionally negative for a lot of different reasons. Uh, people are people, and as we go to meetings, as we interact with people, because science is a social phenomenon, then uh, we make people mad. And so they may not want to publish your work simply because... Uh, they don't like you. And so one of the things in talking to editors is to make sure that the reviewers are going to operate and work in as objectively as possible. 
And so trying to clear those paths uh, is best. Um, how do you participate in the peer review process? Well, when you get the emails from various journals, you just say yes if you have time. Um, sometimes I have more time to review. I, I usually on a given month review anywhere from two to five articles. That's a lot. And sometimes I have to slow down, but uh, the process of participating is one, having published work. And then as you publish work, people get to know what you do and editors get to know what you do. And then you may get put on a list and, uh, and then participate. Generally, editors then get to know which reviewers uh, they can rely on, both in terms of trusting that they're giving an objective opinion and that they do things in a timely manner. These days, looking for, you know, two to three week turnaround on reviews in the old days, you know, somewhere between four to nine months was common, but thankfully, uh, people have gotten where they're reviewing uh, faster. Finally, how could the peer review process be improved? I think the big thing is double blind reviews. And that is because um, when you see someone else's name on a paper, um, again, science is, is a social phenomenon. And you may have feelings that push you one way or another. And we want science to be, again, as objective as, as possible. And so removing who the other person is on the other side, uh, just like they take out your name as a reviewer, uh, is important. The alternative is what a few journals are doing is basically making the reviewers themselves uh, non-anonymous. And so it becomes a completely open process by which the review itself becomes part of the publication. And I think that's good to some degree. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think the review process needs to take out a little bit of uh, publishing work um, from people who have been successful at previously publishing it, rather making it more um, an honest, each, each article has to stand on its own merits, its own science, its own contribution, rather than on the merits of the individual or the lab of the individual. So uh, I find that uh, uh, to be kind of problematic. Anyway, good luck. Hope you guys are successful in your publishing, and hopefully uh, you will um, be asked to review a whole bunch of papers in the near future. Bye-bye. <laughs> I thought that was great. Super, yeah. I mean, I, I completely, I really enjoy hearing somebody talk about uh, the, the fact that science is performed by human beings who are socially influenced and, and think socially all the time, whether they acknowledge it or not. And, it, you know, we're not objective. And you guys talked about this a little bit in, mm -hmm. uh, your writing episode with the passive versus active yeah. tense. And this idea that people had some time ago that, um, taking yourself out of the language somehow made the study objective and that's just not true. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. And, and, and that's exactly why peer review is important and why we need to work on improving it. I was surprised Joseph said he reviews two to five papers a month. That is, he's Pretty a intense. hero. <laughs> I don't, I don't know anybody that does that many. How about you, Monsi? Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and mean, that's I've, a big service to the scientific it community. So yeah, it, it is. Yeah. 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 I wonder how much time he takes for each one knowing him. It seems like probably quite a bit. That's a Lots good question, right? I mean, it sort of gets into what he was saying later about, um, letting each paper stand on its own merits because, well, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. And I think that the clear answer is, well, one of the possible clear answers is that it's an easy way out. You know, maybe uh, the person's lab, you know, the previous work they've done. You say, oh, well, you know, they always do good work. So I'm going to yeah. slap my stamp of approval on it and pass it along. Or 
the converse. But one way or the other, you're not giving, as he said, an honest appraisal of that study on its merits. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Let's hear the next one. I'm excited. My name is Dan Quintana, and I'm a researcher in biological psychiatry at the University of Oslo. My main research interest is understanding how both neuropeptides and the autonomic nervous system impacts the way that we think and feel. But more recently, I've become interested in meta-science, which is an emerging discipline whose goal is to evaluate and improve research practices. Along with my research, I also host two podcasts. The first is the Physiology and Behaviour podcast, which is a daily update on the latest physiology and behaviour research. And this is also available as an Amazon Alexa briefing if you have one of those devices. The second podcast is Everything Hurts, which I co-host with James Heathers. We release episodes twice a month on methodology and scientific life in the biobehavioural sciences. Now, when it comes to dealing with reviews and reviewers, I had an interesting conversation with a PhD student in my lab this morning, actually, who was agonizing about what type of analyses to uh, they were going to include in their submitted paper, wanting to make sure that uh, any sort of analyses the reviewers wanted, they were going to cover. Um, now, when I was speaking to her, I, I let her know that, well, you're never going to be able to actually guess exactly what the reviewers want, so there's no point in, uh, in agonizing about this. You just need to submit what you think is, um, is going to address the research questions that you have, and then, of course, the reviewer is going to let you know what they want to do. So it's important not to be stuck with this and uh, just to submit the, um, the best manuscript that you can. Um, when it comes to actually dealing with revisions, one thing that I always try and do is I try and reduce friction as much as possible. Being on the other end, being the reviewer of manuscripts, it's amazing how much work some authors put you through. It's really important, of course, and it goes without saying, to address every single question. You don't necessarily have to agree with the reviewers, and if you don't, explain why. But there are little things that you can do to make the reviewer's life a little bit easier. Um, firstly, if you are editing some of the text in response uh, to some of their queries, paste in that text in your response to the reviewers um, and also show them where to find it in the manuscript. If the journal doesn't do it already, add continuous uh, uh, line numbers in your manuscript so you can actually tell the reviewer exactly where to find these things. Now, when it comes to reviews, we'd like to think that reviewers are evaluating these things objectively, but they're not. They're human. So if you make them work harder, you are already on the back foot. So you want to reduce friction as much as possible. When it comes to managing editors, it's important to always keep in mind that each editor is trying to solve a specific problem. And that problem is, how do I fill my journal with impactful articles that fit its scope? Your job as an author is to help them solve that problem, and that is where the cover letter comes into play. So many people treat the cover letter as an afterthought when they're submitting papers, uh, when I think you need to spend a disproportionate amount of time on working on your cover letter and how your particular manuscript fits the scope of the journal. Uh, one concern that every journal editor has is that no one is going to cite a paper, uh, while citation numbers aren't necessarily a perfect indicator of paper impact, they're certainly much better than impact factors. Uh, one thing that I've started doing is uh, pre-printing all my papers or pre-printing as many papers as I possibly can um, at least a, a week or two before I plan to submit my paper to a journal. Um, and then I include the download numbers of those preprints to demonstrate to the editor that there's already interest in the paper. Um, and this helps head off any potential fears that no one's actually going to read or cite the paper. When it comes to the peer review process, I try and review about two papers for every paper that I publish. Now, in reality, I probably say yes to more papers than this because uh, so many just seem too interesting to, to pass up. Um, I always tell myself that I need to read more papers to keep on top of the literature. So by saying yes to these reviews, uh, not only do I have the, have the chance to contribute to my field, but this also helps me keep up to date with the literature um, uh, myself. Now, one tool 
that I use to help me with the peer review process is Publons, which is a great online tool which helps you track all the reviews that you've been doing and you can even save um, the review contents. Now, it's up to you as to how public um, you want um, this um, this information to be. You can just reveal the journal you, re- you have reviewed for, uh, but you can also publish your re- reviews as well, um, uh, assuming the paper eventually gets published. So it's a really good, to- really cool tool to actually um, help you keep track of the papers that you're publishing and even your paper ratio, that is how many papers you review per papers that you publish. When it comes to the actual review itself, I always try and review papers like I like mine to be reviewed. Now, nothing is more frustrating when you consider a reviewer hinting that they want you to cite a particular paper or use a particular method without actually telling you specifically what they want. I always try and include as many references as possible for my in my reviews to help the uh, to help the author out. Now, there's a few ways the peer review process could be improved, and some are more realistic than others. Uh, Right now, the peer review process uh, occurs behind closed doors, which increases gatekeeping, both from editors and from reviewers. Uh, One thing that can bring reviews out into the open and to reduce gatekeeping is to make the review process transparent, and this can be done by publishing the reviews and the response to the response from authors and some journals are doing this and it's fantastic and i hope this becomes more widespread it's really interesting as well just seeing how a paper evolves from the original submission to the eventual published papers and with these journals you can see this process and you can see the requests made by the reviewers and how the paper changes and related to this if you're a tenured professor i don't see any reason why you shouldn't sign your reviews and that your reviews should be public uh while uh, whether early career researchers should sign their reviews is a different story, I think, and should be taken at a case-by-case basis. But um, if you're tenured, um, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't. And uh, by doing this and by signing reviews, um, tenured professors are unable to hide uh, behind being an anonymous reviewer, um, which increases the risk of gatekeeping. Can you um, can you just explain to me again what... Uh Dan Quintana means by gatekeeping? Uh, Yeah. So by gatekeeping, he means um, there are, it's barriers. So there's barriers to people um, being able to uh, be successful. So barriers to getting your publications accepted? Um, I think in this case, let me see, let me look at my notes. So the way I'm interpreting it is it seems like he's saying that uh, because of the social imbalance between people submitting papers and people reviewing papers because of the anonymity of reviewers, mm-hmm. uh, reviewers are protected um, by their anonymity. And so they can shut down mm-hmm. papers without any consequences mm-hmm. for less than laudable reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. That's how I took it. Yeah. Essentially, I mean, Joseph sounded like he was saying the same thing. Right. Yeah. They both mentioned the anonymity of reviewers and the imbalance between that um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Dr. White said that there should be parity one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Dr. Quintana, I guess, proposed a sort of more intermediate solution. Well, I think they were on they were on different parts. So Joseph was suggesting that there be double blind during the review process. Mm-hmm. So no one knows who's reviewing and no one knows who's being reviewed. And then what Dan is suggesting is that we be able to see after the review process is done, we're able to see the names of mm-hmm. people. Um, and he's suggesting like tenured professors um, can sign off on that, but also that some journals, like I'd mentioned earlier, are actually publishing Mm -hmm. the conversations around the review process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's just another step that could be taken. I think it's, they're kind of separate. Yeah, I agree. I guess though, uh, you could sign a review at any stage of the review process. So yeah, I mean, but the only chance you would have is to do it after you've actually submitted your review. Of course. Yeah. Or you could do it after the second time. There's not always a guarantee there's going to be right. a second time. 
does does he prefer Dan or Dr. Quintana? Dan I'm just Quintana. calling everyone by their first names because I'm that way. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to, just to be <laughs> contrarian, call okay. him Dr. Quintana. <laughs> okay. Um, Danny and I have to do the opposite all the time, everything yeah. we do. Um, so I thought he was a wealth of information and sort of specific uh, insight into the way that things could be improved and things that you can do. Um, I am currently working on uh, what's going to be the first paper of my my PhD and yes. his um, his suggestion that it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to address all the possible reviewer uh, criticisms, and so you just have to you have to put something out there that you think is good and submit it. Yeah, is definitely a good thing to hear from me. Yeah, for sure. And I really liked how he also said something very similar to Joseph as well, where editors and reviewers are human. And mm-hmm. and Monty brought this up as well. Um, but being kind in your responses and clear is going to get you much further than responding um, in any kind of adversarial way. way. Yeah. Right. I like, yeah, I like the way he put all that reduced friction, right? Is that, yeah. is that what he kept saying? Yeah. yeah I love that make things easy for them. I completely agree with that page numbers and the same thing with the line editors. numbers and line numbers and all yeah. that fun stuff. I gave both. Yeah. So it takes, make sure that <laughs> takes it beyond just the language and, and it, you know, the, the structure of your submission should ideally really minimize the barriers between the people who are looking at it and your science. Yeah. Yeah. And make it as easy as possible for them. Yeah. Because I mean, I know when I review, I'm reviewing between like class and teaching and in the middle of like a lab experiment or very late at night or very early in the morning, right? I'm trying to squeeze it in where mm-hmm. I can so the easier it can all be, mm-hmm. the better. Absolutely. We'll have to go back and, and uh, look up that system that uh, Dr. Quintana was talking about. Me Publons? Yeah, tell us about that. Yes. Okay, so Pavlons is great because a lot of the times, well, every time when you review, it is this silent work that you do. And it's been really hard to get any kind of feedback on that or any kind of um, any kind of credit for that mm-hmm. because it is work that we do. And, you know, like Dan was saying, he really likes to do it because he really feels like he can t- contribute to the field when he's peer reviewing. And I really feel the same way. You get to see new, exciting research that's coming out. You get to see the direction that the field is going. And so, but it'd be nice to get some credit for that work. And so Publons, which is P-U-B-L as in Lagunitas Brewing Company, O-N-S as in Salacious Details, Um, (laughs) Publons.com. I'm being really irritating. Um, You mean magical. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, Is really great. We will link it in the show notes on the website, stemculturepodcast.com. It is great. It is free to sign up and you can add in your details. So basically you just forward them your email from the reviewer, uh, sorry, from the editor that says, hey, thanks for your review. And you send that to Publons and then they acknowledge that you have done this review. And it doesn't, you can be as specific as you want or as general as you want in terms of the review. So I have one review on there and it just says like the journal and the month that I reviewed. And anybody that I reviewed for, they're not going to know it was me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think. But also this is ages ago, so... You just reminded me, actually, that some of the publishers are doing something similar. Oh, cool. So I'm actually, like, I actually have credit. Nice. With one of the major publishers for something, and I didn't, you haven't used it yet. Credit for, like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what can you get with your credit? text, like a book or a... Keychains? (laughs) Maybe. T-shirts. Hoodies. Lighters. Leggings. Tumblers. Leggings. And cuffs. Excuse me? What? This is a family program. Just in case. Just, just it's in case. certainly it's not. not. You, never, you never know when you're going to need handcuffs. I'm, I mean, that's never been truer. And zip ties. <laughs> We've been watching too many crime podcasts. I'm sure people listening to this might listen to other podcasts, and I just want everyone to know that I refer to true crime podcasts as murder porn. 
That's really offensive. Monzi hates it. Uh, so those are our um, opinions from experts on the peer review process for now. Look forward to hearing more of those as they come in. We're really excited to hear more. I think this has been great. Peer review is a central issue for the culture of science. It's one of the layers of glue that allows us to incorporate our ideas into the greater body of human knowledge. The peer review system isn't perfect, but while we work to change that, we still want to be successful within the system that exists. This is a topic that is really important to scientists, and we've gotten an amazing response from many of the professors and postdocs we've asked for input. And we're definitely planning to continue releasing these interviews in bonus episodes as they come in. Ultimately, the peer review process as ultimately as the peer review process becomes better, so does science, and I think that's good for everybody. We want to thank Dr. Monsi Wright for joining us today. We hope that she'll join us again someday soon. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Yes, we're very happy to have you. Meow. In as many ways as possible. Yes. Let's be quieter. It's <laughs> making everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> rude. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Next time we'll be hearing from Dr. Brian Chad Starks, who has a PhD in criminology in our third in STEM episode. You'll hear about his story and his work on diversity and inclusion. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at STEM culture, one word podcast. Search that on Google and you will find us. And when in doubt, visit our website, which I personally curate, so you better visit it, at stemculturepodcast.com. Sorry for threatening you. For show notes, references, you can also find information on all of our guests today on our website in the Guests tab. Until next time, don't forget to consensually hug a graduate student, or at least buy them a coffee, or give them some substantive feedback on their work. Fucking give them feedback! Uh, in the end of Candide, the novel by Voltaire, the, the my favorite part anyway, uh, is, uh, <laughs> go ahead, express yourselves. <laughs> You're just so intellectual. I know, I know. Well, look, you know, I, this liberal arts education and, and you know, all the, the bullshit that I read in high school, I get to use a little bit every now and again. So. 